Welcome to Building Healthy Relationships, the Four Habits podcast, helping you enjoy better harmony at home, thrive at work, and win at life. Here are your hosts, Dr. Andrea and John Taylor Cummings, recognized authorities on the subjects of improving work relationships and cultures, as well as couple and home relationships. Well, hello, hello, and welcome. Welcome to our podcast listeners out there. This is the next in the series, and we're really delighted to have a special, another special guest with us, Harry Benson. Harry, welcome, and thank you for making the time to join us on this podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Good to have you. And there's there's so much wealth of knowledge and experience that Harry brings. Uh, we, we want to do it properly. And John's going to give us a bit of a bio so you know more about the man behind the camera this morning. Absolutely. My real pleasure to, and privilege to do that. I mean, Harry Benson is one of Britain's leading champions for marriage. Uh, we've known Harry for a number of years now and yeah, can endorse that wholeheartedly. As research director for Marriage Foundation, his findings are routinely cited in the UK media and by politicians and have made front page news on several occasions, including today. Including as we, today. As we, as we speak to him, Winning. I, I can flash a copy of the, the, the Times, the UK the Times. Times here on camera there. How He's about in, that I think, for timing? Modern- I know. Amazing. <laughs> they they just they knew you were on our podcast so they decided to publish it this morning, right? Exactly. Having said that, there is no stranger to being on the front page of news and on the TV or what have you, but great to have that that connection with today. So Harry's taught relationship courses to thousands of couples and written several books on marriage and relationships. A former Royal Navy helicopter pilot, might not have guessed yeah. that, but he is currently in his final year also of a PhD in social policy at the University of Bristol. Um, looking at the role of commitment in the timing of marriage, which is something we're going to be talking a fair bit about today in this session. So Harry's been married for 37 years. Congrats on that. Thank Six you. young adult children. And as of this week, one grandchild. Yay. Yeah. Yeah. This is, this is, this so is a winning week. Hopefully, he's definitely him himself and wife and family doing something, right? So congrats. Well done. Well, and thank you so much yeah. for being with yeah. us. Skin of teeth, I have to tell you. It's absolute <laughs> skin of teeth. Oh, amazing. Well, we've known you for a while. We've learned so much from you already, Harry. Really looking forward to Thank the you. conversation today. Didn't know about Royal Navy pilot, but yeah. it, 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 it's consistent with the theme of you flying high. So we get that. Yeah, we, want well. to, we want to get behind. Uh, there's so much passion that comes across in the work that you do. We'd love to understand the genesis of it. Where does all of that mm. come from? And then you can tell us what the passion is today. I think the root of it, um, like for many people, is you go way back into childhood. Um, and I'm not going to dwell on this too long, so I, I'm not going to linger on it. But um, my parents sped up when I was three. Uh, I was sent to boarding school at seven. I had a very privileged upbringing on the outside. Uh, but mm. on the inside, uh, it was difficult, very difficult, um, yeah. being sent away effectively and not seeing my dad hardly ever and then mum sending me away to boarding school for long wow. periods of time so that's really you know 10 years of childhood and that framed how I saw the world uh, and I realized that I had to be very independent I had to do things on my own and I also uh, realized that it was better not to feel uh, so I could do the wow. sort of foot, you know football type feelings you know I'm gutted mm-hmm. or I'm over yeah. the moon uh, when someone scores a goal um, but that was about it. I had no vocabulary of feelings because, and I think many English boarding school boys um, fall into this category. 
but yeah. it was just double a double whammy of having parents split up back in the 60s when it was very rare uh, there were very mm. few, right. few divorces in those days and so when i was at, at boarding school i was the only one in my in my school actually in my young my primary school wow. who yeah. had divorced parents um you know you compare that to now and it's nearly 50 percent um well just our, extraordinary our, our, our eldest was at university recently in a lockdown talking about parents and families and so on i think she was the only one yeah, well, parents, parents still together. together. <laughs> and yeah. it's like twelve of them on the, in the, on, the, on the dorm. Yeah, but I can the, just, I can just imagine the, yeah, but yeah. the emotions of having to process it and being the only one as well going yeah. through it. Yeah, well, uh, I had a, I had a brother as well, and then uh, my mother remarried uh, when I was nine, and uh, and she told me about her marriage after she got married, which was hilarious. Um, she yeah. was, she'd moved to South Africa, and I was still at school in England. Um, so I got a letter saying, oh, by the way, Harry, I'm married. So that's kind of cool. Um, and actually, funnily <laughs> oh, enough, that's, that's not even a big deal in my life, you know, so wow. <laughs> it's the other stuff. Anyway, um, so I came out of school um, as a young adult, um, having sort of romantic ideas about the world, uh, but also knowing that I had to make my own way. And I joined mm. the Navy as a helicopter pilot. I went to war in Falklands, um, flew in Norway, Northern Ireland, that sort of thing as a young commando pilot. So bit of sort of action man stuff as a young man, very capable, very institutionalized though. Mm -hmm. um, and then along the way, I met Kate, um, who is my now wife. So um, you know the happy ending. Uh, yes. there's, okay. there's, yeah, yeah. there's a long and winding road to get to that. <laughs> uh, and um, so we got married uh, when we were quite young, uh, but not abnormally young in the 80s. Mm. I was 25, Kate was 22. And mm -hmm. it all seemed very right. And it was what we did. We got married. You know, if you met someone then, cohabiting was much less of a thing. Even in the 80s, it was just still only really beginning to take off. Yeah. Uh, and, um, and we got married um, and we moved out to Asia. I, I left the Navy. We moved out to Asia and I went into finance. And that all worked very well. And it was great fun. We had a fantastic time. But we slowly drifted apart, particularly after our first child and well first two children were born uh in asia where we where were very sort of royally spoiled as expats and um so again on the outside we looked great but on the inside we our relationship well, yeah. was a right old mess and it's a mm -hmm. very classic thing for parents to drift apart i think um you know when the baby's born mum inevitably focuses on the baby dad says well what can i do um to make things good and so he busies himself with earning the money or with work you yeah. know, doing stuff and that and so we fell into very stereotypical roles and became very capable functional parents but as a married couple we were a mess and because i was so emotionally close i had no idea what was going on and so it was eventually um about eight years into our marriage that kate confronted me and she said you know she she'd actually become a christian um which and i was I was head full on atheist at this stage. Um, and uh, so, you know, think, think Richard Dawkins. Um, it was all okay. a complete load of nonsense. Or rather, it was either true or it was absolute rubbish. And I was on the, yeah, rubbish, yeah. the rubbish end of the spectrum. Um, and she'd gone into this weird world. Um, and I think it triggered uh, a, a confrontation. So we had a confrontation about this. You know, if you're not my friend um, and you're not, we're not having a great relationship and if things don't improve within a year then that's it game over and we had two young children i never saw it coming at all i had no idea what she was talking about because i had no vocabulary of emotions 
And so over the next six weeks, six months, a bunch of stuff happened. Um, and I knew, my goodness, I've got to make this work. Initially for the sake of the children, which ultimately means me. Mm, but mm. Uh, it wasn't until I realized about six months down the line when she wrote me this very despairing letter of what it was to be Harry's wife, you know, job, job spec, terms and conditions, um, you know, hours, responsibilities, holiday, pay, all that sort of stuff. But what I really want, she said in this letter, was is, is, is a friend. Will I ever get one who knows and who cares? And she wrote those last wow. two words, who cares, in capitals. And it completely blew me away. And I'd been to therapy at that stage, actually, to deal with the sort of being emotionally close stuff. So I'd, I'd opened up. I'd even become a Christian, which was mad because that was totally unexpected for an atheist. Um, none of that helped at all, um, although it was obviously an important part of the, the journey. Uh, and then eventually, um, you know, she wrote this letter and I, I, I was, I suppose, ready to receive it at that stage. And I suddenly realized, my God, what have I done to you? Mm. And, and I got down on my knees to her and I literally got down on my knees and I said, you've got no reason to believe me, but I will change. And something in my head switched and I switched attitude and I realized that I needed to put Kate first. And I'd never done that before. I'd never thought about doing that before. Um, and everything changed from there. And thereafter, it's a story of, of, of fulfilling the, I don't know, the mission, vocation, calling, whatever you like to call it. Um, the promise that, that is but, such but you don't want I, I just know there are so many other harry and kates out there who needn't get into the mess that we got into so unnecessary yeah. and it's a, you know we had a painful recovery it's been a long time we know we're we're 37 years in now but this happened at eight and it took quite a few years to get through this and we had big ups and downs on the way mm. um but now it's just fabulous, really fabulous. But, but I, want to, I want to pause there because, as you said, there, there will be many Harry and Kates out there. As you say, you can so easily fall into stereotypical mm. roles of, you know, the husband going and doing the, the hard graphs at work and the wife yeah. doing the hard graphs at home, but emotionally start to separate because you're not there for each other anymore yeah. as friends. What was it that, that, that changed in your mind, what was it that Kate said that made it come alive for you? What was happening? Well, what, it was just what, this what was... sense of it's this this letter happened. We'd we'd actually gone that day. Um, amazingly, I'd I'd been having this very successful therapy to go and open up my own can mm. of worms and, and and learn that I can feel happy and sad and excited and exhilarated and exuberant and depressed and dis you know. Uh, disillusioned or whatever i suddenly discovered a vocabulary of feelings that i never had wow um but so we decided that well, i was at work and we said let's take bring kate in to my therapist my friend mm. and uh so in we went and uh kate burst into tears about this whole thing you know she just said look nothing's changed in six months you know it's all very well you opening up it's all very well becoming a fancy christian and praying for people but you know our marriage is still rubbish um, mm. and, um, and she burst into tears, at which point I was like a rabbit in the headlights. And my, my <laughs> friendly therapist, my friend, said to me, Harry, do something. And I just I froze. I had no idea what to do. I didn't reach out and, you know, put a hand on her or something like that. I just did nothing. And I didn't know what to do. So we left this meeting. Can you imagine how further apart we were than ever? Wow. Yeah. Um, and so that's what prompted her when she went home and I went back to the office. 
she wrote this letter and it was there sitting on my bed when I got back, you know, dear Harry, here are the terms and conditions for being your wife. Um, and then, you know, I really want to be your friend. Will I get that? Who knows? Who cares? And it just the the set, the timing was right. The sense of despair really got through to me. It cut me to the core. And I saw how badly she'd been hurt and how much she needed to be loved and needed me to put her first. And it wasn't a big, you know, it's not like a great, um, huge thing that happened, but it was like a little flick switched in my, little switch flicked in my head. Yes. And suddenly I discovered, I realized, my goodness, that's what I need to do. I need, yeah. You know, I, it, putting the kids first is actually putting me first because I don't want to lose them. That's ultimately, it was a selfish thing. But ultimately what I need to do is put, put her first. And when yeah. I started to do that, of course, I started to notice her. Um, just an example of that, actually. So I'm not giving you a chance to ask any questions. No, 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 go on. We're, we're <laughs> um, loving the story. A very good, very good example was um, of, of the change was that up until that point, I'd never really done um, compliments and affirmation. Um, I never really had that in my life at all. So it never seemed a big deal, but it was an important deal to Kate. And it is an important deal to a lot of people. It's quite nice to be told, you know, you're doing a great job or you look great or I love this. Uh, and um, Kate said, I overheard Kate saying to somebody at a party, um, Harry never compliments me. Uh, and I noticed it. That was the thing. And that part of me putting her first was I started to notice stuff. And I put a little post-it note, one of those little yellow things on my computer screen. And um, and she laughed because it said compliments and affirmation. And she just thought, yeah. oh, what an idiot, you know. And uh, and that you thought, that'll last, you know, two minutes. Harry will change for two minutes and then he'll forget. But anyway, after about six months, the note lost its stickiness and fell off the screen. By which time I was starting to compliment and notice her and compliment her mm. automatically. To make and, a habit of it. And yeah. I then heard her say to somebody, this was the winning moment. Um, I then heard her say to somebody, oh, Harry compliments me. And I absolutely love it. He constantly compliments oh. me all the time. And I thought, yes. And Got it. something that it's become completely automatic. And it's an in interesting how you can learn to do something. You can choose to do something that's not in your, not in your nature. And then you mm. can... You can make it, it becomes automatic after a while and it becomes a habit. And I think that's why our marriage has become, it's one of the weirdest things. I don't know if you've got to this stage yet, but our marriage has become very automatic in, in you know, in being comfortable with one another and that we yeah. do little things that actually make the thing work. You know, yeah. you know you're it. speaking, you're so speaking our language because you're talking about the habits in yeah. relationships that make them stronger, make them yeah. successful and exchanging those yeah. for habits that are damaging the relationships Absolutely. unintentionally. But, but when become, you said sticky because, notes, well, then, say, to, to develop that habit, I, I thought it was just saddle me, you know, I, <laughs> I think to, to do things that are different. I, I had that. I put it in my diary. Put it in my diary because I know I'm looking at my diary all the time. I used to put it in there. You know, because Andrew, like Kate, apparently, um, loves the compliments, loves, and that's just, it's just, I mean, when people compliment me, my instinct is, what do you want from me? Are you, you patronizing me? Do you want, you yeah. want, I either feel patronized or you must be looking for something. You're just, yeah. you know, you're trying to get something. That's why you're giving, giving that away. So I, I don't naturally give compliments as a result. Yeah. But Andrew, 
loves compliments. She, you know, the she words of affirmation is exactly. my love language. Yeah. So I had to put it in my diary. Look, tell Andrew the compliments. So I'm, it's just not me. Not not just me. So happy to hear right. that. Well, and well, I, just, I want... let, me, let me just say then that John, I just don't, I don't care really what you look like today, but Andrea, you look absolutely fabulous. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you're my friend, Harry. Her, next, friend. her next question to you then would be why? Why? Tell me why. Since <laughs> you're looking for more, you know. No, but, I like the I shirt. You look you look beautiful. You there know you. Go. you you Harry, present yourself so well. You, you're polite. You're kind in the way you talk to people. Uh, Listen, is that, is that enough? That 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 will do for the moment. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we'll come back to that. But if that's a skill and a habit that you've developed, how yeah. worth it was it? You know. Oh yeah. This this if we lift the conversation to there was this I don't know if you saw this um, uh, article recently. I can't even remember which paper, but it was talking about how after after a few years of marriage you know in the beginning the the, the amount of love uh, or the sense of feeling oh, yes. loved is equal between it, the, in a heterosexual relationship this is where they did the study equal between the man and the woman but after a few years it changed it negligibly for the men but for the woman, the sense of feeling in love fell by something like 70 or 80 percent. And it's it, it goes back to exactly what you're saying. You know, in the beginning of the relationship, the focus, the love, the attention is on the woman after marriage and especially after children. Life for the woman tends to change so much more dramatically in a lot of cases because of the kids, because of the housework, because of the, all the things that they're juggling. And if they're not getting the same affirmation, the same attention, the same sense of you're my number one that you would have had through courting days, of course, the sense of being in love or loving this relationship will yeah, change. Yeah. You know, that made so much sense to me. And that was the research that they did I, I don't know. A, I think it was a Harvard Business Review or, or McKinsey. McKinsey Review, one of them. We'll have to look it up because yeah. it was just so. It's, it's you know the, the, these simple habits to become intentional about doing it and yeah. keeping your spouse as yeah. number one, even when life changes with kids or jobs or loss of jobs or whatever, to keep that focus. That's mm. a that's a well, habit. But, to, but to jumping go in for a second, though, what I love, Harry, though, is like speaks to this article as you said it completely blindsided you you weren't expecting that yeah in your mind things were still okay and possible livable but yeah. from her side she wasn't seeing that or feeling no. that at all yeah. no, and I, I expect it's smaller and smaller and smaller yeah i suspect it's not a panacea but i love the idea of her writing you the letter yeah but as you said you, it had to be the right timing you had to be in the right place to hear it had she yeah. written that letter maybe a year before or two years before it might be like what's this all about kind of a thing so yeah certainly not a panacea but something really yeah. helpful to, no, to i'm a big fan of letters actually um yeah. i think letters are very helpful especially for men because um often you can feel like you want to say something i mean this is horribly genderized um but you can feel like you want to say something and you're never you're not going to get um, shot down, questioned, whatever you can actually, you've got a chance to say what you really want to say. Yeah, yeah. And also the other, you know, the other person, Kate, Kate's message got through to me. I was listening and shutting up because I'm reading a letter. You know, yes. You, there's, sometimes you, it's quite good to just listen and shut up, and a letter yeah. does that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, where you can just say what you need to say in an uninterrupted way and without all yeah. the emotions get interrupting. The other thing you said, which I think is really powerful because a lot of men struggle with this, is that you went to therapy. That's yeah. a big deal. What what 
prompted you or helped you make that decision to go to therapy? Oh, I tell you what, I I went I went there under you know under duress. Um, <laughs> yeah, not surprised. At that, at that stage, you know, back in the where are we? We're in the mid nineteen nineties now, um, and um, at that stage, you know, the thought was that if you went went to therapy, then that was something that Californians sent their poodles to. Um, yeah. It was just it was just extreme. Now, I mean, I now yeah. now know lots of people are very comfortable with the idea, but it was yeah. I I. And it was it got even worse than that because it was some friends of ours actually, and in fact I think the impo- the importance of wise friends cannot be underestimated when you're going through difficult times. Um, mm. Having wise friends to be there, I'm much more of a fan of having wise friends to help couples through difficult times than I am going anywhere near marriage counselling or mm-hmm. God forbid relate um, or you know whatever. Um, go and talk to wise friends who aren't going to take side, and um, we yeah. have a wonderful couple who had been sort of watching our descent into oblivion um and we went for dinner with them um and they said harry you know how you know how do you see what what do you think of when you think of kate and you know most people would think you know well she's bubbly and vivacious and she's kind and she's gentle and she's Mm. um she's great with people all that sort of thing you'd have normal things like that i couldn't think of a single thing Honestly, I couldn't oh. think of anything except that she was a professional cook. So I said, unbelievably, she understands the chemistry of cooking, you know, which is like, like. <laughs> Not even like she makes great dinners it's like, for me. It's no, just... it's like the, it's like the stupidest thing you can possibly say. But I thought I was impressed by that because it was something that always absolutely impressed me. But I couldn't I couldn't verbalize any of the other stuff yeah. about how she was as a person. And they thought, okay, Harry, um, I think we need to get you somewhere. Yeah. So they recommended a therapist uh, or counsellor. And I yeah. went to, who actually happened to be a Christian counsellor, although the Christian bit, I don't think ever really particularly came into it. And I said, mm-hmm. look, one mention of God and I'm out of there because I was yes. an atheist. Um, so it's bad enough going to counselling. It was even worse, the idea of going to a Christian counsellor. Yeah, yeah, she yeah. was sensational. She was really fabulous. And she took me into my childhood and she helped me see some of the pain I'd experienced and whatever. And she helped me work my way through it. And I suddenly discovered emotions and it was fabulous. Um, And it was a fascinating experience. And I highly recommend it, um, you know, as a logical, very closed man thinking, oh, this is all a load of nonsense. Actually, it was brilliant. It was fascinating. And she was great. I mean, if you've got a rubbish mm. one, I can imagine it's dire. Yeah. And not but, wanting but to go back. She yeah. was so smart. She was super smart. Um, and, you know, she did some pretty high-intensity ther- therapy on me. But in a very clever way. It didn't feel yeah. like that. It was just she took me back to, you know, what's your first memory and what was it like and where do you feel hurt and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. And I, yeah. drew, getting, a picture, getting I right drew a them. picture of it and I wrote a letter to my father, which Unlike Prince Harry, I never sent. Um, <laughs> how to, you know, that's, that's how to explode your family, is actually to wash yeah, yeah, the dirty yeah. in public. You do this stuff in private um, so that you can then deal with the, yeah. the difficult stuff in, in public. Um, yes. And um, so, you know, I did all that stuff and I got angry and blah, blah, blah. And I discovered emotions. It was fantastic. And it actually was probably only about 10 sessions. 
altogether. Wow. Um, but, but that was you know, some, some really important life lessons about just being aware mm. of where you stand with emotions and the fact that you'd yeah. bottled it up all these years and you didn't know how to express it. And yeah. as they say, if you bottle it, if you bottle any of it, you're really compromising all of it and you're not able to show any emotions in the appropriate way in a relationship. Yeah. So knowing, uh, the, getting a language and an understanding around emotions, yeah. getting counseling if you need it, writing a letter to your partner to explain what you're going through, all those things are such great um, insights and tips to help people who might find themselves in that place. And also developing good habits, even if it means writing a reminder to yourself on a yellow post-it and sticking it on your computer develop the habits that build success amazing i go ahead Um, of everyone so that you can see how how bad i am and you feel better about yourself (laughs) (laughs) not at all you've done the journey so that others have the confidence that they can do it as well so so we understand the background uh, and how it's created this passion to really help and support uh, marriages what's the what's the passion now what's the thing that's driving your focus now well, after we started to get our act together, um, I gave up my finance business in Asia and came back. I did a psychology degree at Bristol University. I set up a charity teaching relationship skills, kind of stuff that you do with full habits. Similar sort of <laughs> yes, thing. Yes, I remember. But this was uh, love languages, bad habits, um, all sorts of stuff. And it was as much as possible research-based. And I ran courses for about 10 years in Bristol and taught thousands of people. Um, in different settings in prison. I did a lot of prison courses, uh, antenatal courses uh, for new mums. We worked in the Sure Start Children's Centres. It's fantastic. And then, of course, pre-marriage courses as well. And then I realised, actually, I had a chat to a a friend of mine who was an academic in the States who was talking about, um, we were talking about, you know, how can you have most impact? And she said, um, just a little throwaway comment, you know, if we could only change the way people start, and fa- what the foundation of people's relationships we could avoid a lot of this difficulty of having to help people sort their sort their stuff out later absolutely. on absolutely uh, yeah. and so i thought yeah you're right and um, at that and so I, I was ready to move to the next stage which was to go into um, marriage foundation as it turned out uh, and i bumped into a guy called sir paul coleridge who was a former high court judge who was actually serving high court judge at that time and he and I were interviewed separately for a panorama program, which was, you know, very fancy on BBC. Uh, and he saw me, I saw him. We got together, we met and we decided to start. He, he wanted to start a marriage foundation. And so mm-hmm. I, that's what I've been doing. I've been run, doing research for that um, for uh, the last 12 years. But a couple of years ago, I decided we, we've, we've done a lot of research, fantastic research on, on the mm. Marriage Foundation website. And, you know, I mean, well, I'd say it's fantastic. You may you be the judge of it. But um, the media publish our stories all the time, you know, like today, we've front page of the Times, which is really cool. And some yeah, of lots of great newspapers. insights. Yeah. Um, and as yeah. I say, we've learned so much from you and from the research that you've <laughs> done you. at the Marriage Foundation. Thank yeah. you. We, uh, well, yeah. And of course, it's all rooted in actually keeping your stuff together at home. Um, which is mm-hmm. kind of important. Um, but, um, but I realized a couple of years ago, actually, I thought I'd been putting off this thing called a PhD that I've been um, uh, sort of, I've been trying to avoid it for a long time, I'm trying <laughs> to do research without, you know, being a proper academic. 
And uh, so I've been doing that for the last two and a half years at the University of Bristol. I've got two fabulous supervisors. Um, one of them is an expert on single mums, which is very helpful for me because okay. it keeps yeah, me yeah. grounded. Um, mm -hmm. It keeps my language very clear. Um, and I, uh, it keeps me very focused, very non-judgmental, um, and very mm -hmm. much stuck with what the data is saying, what the research is saying. Mm -hmm. So I'm, very, I'm pretty ruthless about that. Um, but hopefully I'm going to wrap up my PhD this year um, looking at um, who stays together and who splits up during the course of parenthood, which amazingly nobody's looked at uh, until now. Oh, and really? What, and what that tells us about yeah. commitment. And, and I've found a few things um, which I hope, and my, my goal at the end of it is that I want to publish some academic papers which change the thinking of the civil servants in British politics who block an awful lot of policies. I know, and you know, from talking to people in think tanks and other think tanks like ours and Centre for Social Justice and Civitas and Centre for Policy Studies, all sorts of people, um, IPPR, whatever. The civil service block an awful lot of stuff because they've got this idea that marriage doesn't matter. Uh, mm. And I've, my research has shown, you know, look, it's the psychology of marriage says it really ought to matter. You know, when you make proposals, there's a lot of decision making, which has a lot of effect on the way we see ourselves and the way you see each other and the way you treat each other and how confident you feel. Then there's weddings, which have an effect that social affirmation, social um, mm -hmm. social acceptability, all sorts of things, social confirmation. There's lots of things that happen in the process of getting married automatically, which ought to make people more likely to stick together rather than just being as the you know, the chattering classes like to say, oh, it's just the kind of people who marry. They're just richer or older or whatever. Yes, um, it's just the ceremony. Actually, yeah. yeah, but the psychology of it is so compelling. And that's really what I want to get across. And my findings in my study is very clearly that people who marry do much better. They're much more likely to stay together yeah. across income groups, across age groups, across happiness, across all sorts of sectors, whatever. And that's really good for children because ultimately, you know, I'm in the business about helping Harry's and Kate stay together who needn't yeah. split up in order that their kids are brought up. You know, and the bottom line in my family is my two oldest children have been brought up with two intact parents who've got, broadly speaking, got on with each other. Yeah. And I have and I've got four more children who wouldn't exist if we hadn't got our act together, hadn't yeah. sorted our stuff together. And they've got a legacy from us, which we've given them, and they will then be able to give to their children, to my new grandchild who was born this week. Mm. Um, you know, that whole generational legacy thing um, is really important. So even if, you know, I have zero impact in the wider world, my goal is, my PhD goal is to influence public policy with published papers. So that's where yes. I'm going with that. Mm. Um, and, and I want to change government policy on marriage because at the moment, the government policy doesn't really distinguish between marriage and cohabiting as if, that you know, it's just a piece of paper. It's just a thing that people either do. And yet all the rich guys, they're all married. You know, exactly. They want to do it. They do it for a reason. They want they know there's something about the security, the promise, um, the decision, the plan, um, the signal, um, the, you know, the social um, you know, the social uh, affirmation that you get, um, et cetera. Um, all yeah. of these that, things, they know, people gonna... know it, and yet our policy argues against it. So that's where I'm going with this, yeah. is 
I want to change government policy. I've, we've tried with the media for the last 12 years and it's great. You know, it's great. You get fancy stories yeah. like today, yeah. I, I, but, but I want to get into the, into the public sector. Yeah. yeah. I was going to say, I mean, what you said earlier about, you're talking about yourself, I think, where you're saying I'm selfish and you wanted something out of it. I think our big recognition in working in relationships for the last 30 years is that fundamentally we are all selfish as individuals. Yeah. We all want what works for us. And I think if you're messaging, somehow you can get to speak to the politicians and, and it, it's all about what, what's in it for me. So if you can say to them, this is what's in it for you, if the people listening and are thinking, this is what's in it for me, and, mm. and actually quite often um, we think, yeah, I might want to do it for my children, but ultimately you're not going to do it for the children. You'll do it for you if there's a benefit for you. Yeah. Um, so it really comes down to that. And how do we underline that message and give everybody something for for them? Well, I think the research will be great to put yeah. figures around it. And I'm I'm blown away that yours will be the first. So, of In course, space, yeah. you know, amazing that this is your passion and you're going for it. But yeah. anecdotally, we can see, we know in general that if two of you, if you have a companion doing something with, chances are you'll stick with it. You'll go to the gym if somebody's mm. going to hold you accountable. You'll turn up and, you know, do the business project if you're not on your own. On days when you're down, they can lift you up, you know. I think intuitively we understand that a really committed relationship will get you much further in life than just a casual or not even a casual commitment, something that still has question marks over it. And the point you made, Harry, about the process you go through in the decision to get married, a lot of these questions and um, decisions about the long-term commitment have to be addressed up front. Can you tell us some more about the, the, the whole psychology of marriage and why it is distinctly different from the decision to cohabit? Yeah. Well, you, you don't want to know the whole psychology of marriage. Let me give you a little tiny piece. Um, yes, please. Yeah. I mean, when, when you get together, what you're trying to do in a relationship is you're trying to remove ambiguity. You're trying to find out where are yeah. we going with this. You want ultimately some sense of security, confidence, knowledge of, of where the other person is. And, um, and that's a sort of growing process. And you do that while you're dating or courting or whatever term you'd like to use or going out uh, together. But you're trying to remove ambiguity. You're trying to establish that you yeah. have a relationship, you know, that you're boyfriend and girlfriend initially or that you're then partners or whatever you are. Um, and you've got something and, the, and there's a destination or there's a there's a there's a you're, you're removing ambiguity. But you also ultimately you need to get rid of this problem that you can have different levels of commitment you know someone might say okay well i'm in this relationship for life another person might say well i can see it going five years or ten years but i don't really want to commit yeah. more than that well that's horrendous you know that's horrible because in a in that kind of relationship you've got this mismatch of commitment you've got one person saying uh, they're really into it and the other person saying not so, not quite so sure um, and that means the person who's got the who's got the power in the relationship is the one who's more willing to pull the plug, who doesn't care. Uh, yeah. and more often that's yeah. the more often that's the man. So you want to find patriarchy. You'll find it in cohabiting relationships much yeah. more than you will in marriage. I mean that blows people's minds when they think about it. Patriarchy mm -hmm. is alive and well in cohabiting relationships where men are living with often women who really think this is it. And yet they haven't actually ever expressed that 
point and they they're that conning commitment. they're basically they're conning themselves and they're conning other people to think that actually i'm in this for as long as you are but actually they're not really they haven't made that act of commitment yeah. and what happens with marriage is that it automates this process of giving you as much confidence as you possibly can and there yeah, we know there's no guarantees marriages fail yeah. for sure um, although having said that, divorce rates are at the lowest they've been since the 1960s mm-hmm. now, which also people don't realise, um, because the people who are marrying are just doing it because they really want to. But the process yeah. of marriage involves a proposal. So you, you've got things like you've got a decision. Uh, decisions give you confidence. Um, you've got a plan that starts to remove any kind of ambiguity. Signal, really important signals. Say, and signals have to involve sacrifice. If I say I'm going to spend the day with you, um, you know, you might think, oh, well, that's nice of Harry. But if I tell you I'm spending the day with you, but I'm actually giving up um, a day I was going to spend going to some sporting event in order mm-hmm. to spend the day with you, that's a sacrifice. That's different not message. Committed. Yeah. Different yeah. message. So when you get married, you're signaling that you're actually giving up all the other choices in order mm. to choose that one person. And that's yeah. a massive risk. And of course, getting married is a huge risk because you're burning all your bridges all in one go. Mm. But what you're doing is you're putting yourself on the same level playing field. Uh, you're also, uh, there's some really cool psychology behind it, which goes that um, when you make decisions and act upon a decision, what happens is that you tend to become more confident about the thing you've chosen and less confident about the things you've rejected. So if you've bought a car, yes. so there's two cars that look much the same and you choose that car, after you've made the decision, you will widen that gap. And it's yeah. called cognitive consistency theory, which is kind of like the opposite uh, of cognitive dissonance. But it's what you're doing is you're, you're widening the gap to give yourself more confidence that, hey, I made a great mm-hmm. choice here. That's the that's right decision. Yeah. So that's really cool. People don't think about this stuff. They say, oh, it's just mm-hmm. a piece of paper. No, it isn't. You're making a decision and you're acting upon it. And then you get married uh, and you've got all the people saying, well done, great choice, because you're taking this unbelievably risky choice. You do it on your own, it's, it's terrifying. But if you suddenly, everyone says, you know, That's great it. choice, Harry, good job. But you're also slightly holding yourself accountable as well. You're putting a little bit of a, um, a barrier around you, which makes it slightly harder for you to leave. You've got to tell all your friends and embarrass yourself again. All the people who, decide... who came to church and bought exactly. you presents. Yeah. And, and... Or, or, civil cer- <laughs> or, or civil ceremony, as most are now. Yeah, but, um, you know, th- th- these are really important stuff. And I, I love the fact that you're going to have uh, figures around it to show because so many times the conversation around why marriage gets camouflaged in the politics or, you know, lots of uh, negative emotions beginning to be associated with the word without realizing it's the stability, it's the commitment, mm-hmm. it's the decisions yeah. that need to be made up front that makes it a, a, a uniquely uh, and a very special commitment, a very special foundation for yeah. doing life I think, together. I think so. the thing to remember about it, about marriage, is that it, it isn't a guarantee. It's not a panacea. But it, yeah. goes with, it goes with the grain of human nature. So it accounts for our natural selfishness and failings. Uh, and it brings people together with all these decisions and plans and signals uh, and social affirmation. And it points you in a direction um, and you can you can apply all those ingredients as a without going through the process of marriage. But ultimately, you're still going to have to apply those ingredients one by one. So even if you don't call it marriage, you're going to actually end up having to go through something like that. So I successful cohabiting couples 
almost certainly gone through a similar process to yeah. married couples in some way or another that they've actually expressed their commitment to one another uh, in a similar yeah. sort of way but with that they just haven't called it marriage um, yeah but you know we there's a reason why societies have have chosen marriage this for you know this idea of marriage and in, in whatever form it is for thousands of years in, in almost all societies um because it, it bonds particularly men to the mothers of their future children and that's really important yeah. because the mum is the one who's got all the risks when you get pregnant um and uh, the, you need the bloke to be around and the psychology of marriage makes that more likely to happen Mm-hmm. And th- this idea of two pulling together in the same direction yields it, many more benefits. You know, of course, it creates a stable family. It creates the home for children to grow up in with more confidence and being able to process their emotions. But yeah. there's research out there, isn't there, that even in terms of wealth, that uh, couples that are committed and aligned around finances, for example, will compound their wealth. There was one uh, conversation we had recently with Rob Gardner. He said 77% more uh, faster couples who are committed to each other. They, they, com- they accumulate wealth 70, 77% faster than single people or couples who aren't as aligned around finances. And of course, you talk about the gap that those who are in the highest wealth bracket, most of them are married. No surprises there, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, that, that the, the, it's, it's, an important, it's important to point out that, you know, this is about couples staying together. Uh, but you're just if you if you stay together, yeah, you're much more likely to accumulate wealth. But you're much more likely to stay together if you get married in the first place because the psychology yeah. is so compelling. And yeah. you know, some people it will simply affirm their commitment. Others it will boost it. Uh, you know, right. for, a few, uh, for a few, for a, a small minority, there are couples who who get married for for legal reasons or some kind of, you know, bureaucratic reasons or whatever. It might be immigration or something like that. But most people, either it's to cement what you've already got or to boost what you've already got. And yeah, either way, either way, it's a good thing. And we, we turn our backs on it at our peril. Yeah, yeah. And, and of course, we're not just talking about staying together for the sake of it and staying staying in a miserable marriage or staying in a miserable relationship where it's all just horrible or an abusive relationship, God forbid. But we're talking about staying together and actually working on the relationship and making it making it work. Developing the skills Stay- and the habits. I think that's a that's a great segue actually to yeah. um you mentioned earlier the challenges that you had and how you overcame it. What are some of the what what relationship advice, what's the best relationship advice that you have been that was shared with you or that you've learned? that you want to share with everybody and pass on to your children and grandchildren? I think the best piece of best piece of advice I've ever been given as a parent was start a quote book. Absolutely hilarious. Um, you'll start never remember what book. start a quote book. Yeah. It was Nikki and Silla Lee who run the marriage course years ago. This is probably 25 years ago. They said, uh-huh. we, we run a quote book. And I remember listening. I remember talking to them about this and they said, yeah, it's absolutely hilarious. All your wedding speeches are all written for you um, and you'll never remember. And it is, I yeah. promise you, you will thank me. If you've got young children, start a quote book because you're never going to remember what they say otherwise. That, that was the best advice I think I've ever been given outside. 
Um, Wonderful. The advice that I would give to others, though, is that I think the trial, well, first of all, get married because it's it's the best way to show commitment to one another. Why on earth Mm. wouldn't you? You know, people think we have to defend marriage. No, you need to defend. Why aren't you getting married? People want to get married. There's a reason for it. You don't have to do all the fancy ceremony stuff and all and spend a fortune. The rich and poor alike used to get married years ago. Um, Mm. There's ways of doing it without spending a fortune. Um, and so, but get, getting married gives you this psychology, gives you this psychological boost, um, which stacks the odds in your favor. Um, but I think my message really is something that came out of um, when I wrote a book called What Mums Want and Dads Need to Know with, with Kate, actually, and it ended up as a bestseller. It got to number 11 on Amazon. I mean, amazing. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, a fantastic and, book. And um, thank you. And um, yeah, we, the key we've got a thing, copy of it here, the key, which I believe you gave us, actually. <laughs> good, good. No, well, no, read, read Linwoodly Digest. Yeah. Um, no, but the key thing is that the responsibility for a successful relationship, once you have children, rests with dad. And that's a very uncomfortable message, I think, for a lot of people, because they say, oh, it should be equal and it should be fair. But mm. mum's focus is so much on shifts to children. She's the one who got pregnant. She's the one who spent nine months growing a fetus so that then becomes your child. Uh, and, you know, your, her attention automatically when the baby's born is un- unavoidably towards the child. Yeah. So the point is, it's very easy to let your relationship go. The person who has capacity to focus on the relationship is dad. So. We all tend to think dad's responsibility is to earn the money and, you know, be the provider and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, maybe to some extent. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually what mums want, and we asked 300 mums what they wanted, what they really wanted most of all was they wanted a friend, someone who was interested in, in them and their children and someone who was kind. And that's it. So I think husbands love your wives and they will love you right back. You'll get back everything you ever wanted. You know, and more. And yeah. more, absolutely. Because why wouldn't, you know, why wouldn't your wife give you so much back if you're being a great husband? I mean, that's the way it works. But it starts with you. So that's my message to blokes. Big one is A, get married. B, prioritize your relationship. And you are your job as a bloke. Your role as a man, and we've lost sight of men's, men's roles in society, but your primary role is your responsibility for the relationship. That is such a powerful love message. That, love that. And then you were saying, before we came on the, on the call, you were saying, I think you that was your advice to your son, I think, wasn't it? Who I, was son in I literally son-in-law. just I wrote a letter to my son-in-law. Um, son-in-law. And he, he read, read it out with my daughter, actually. Um, and yeah. yeah, he's kept the letter. But I wrote, I wrote the letter. You never know. I might have to write a book on this one of these days. <laughs> so say the, well, there were three things. There were three things you said that that, that the the husband should do. The last one was be kind, which is really powerful because it's so yeah. easy to be harsh but, and but, to be mean, especially finances are tight or everybody's tired. But there were two other things you said that I wanted to capture again. Okay, of course well, the we three, the three the things, podcast, but three things that mums want. Three things yeah. mums want. That's this is the things that came out head and shoulders above everything else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, providing, being an action man, being cool and fit and all that stuff was fine, but it wasn't the big deal. The big deal was um, they that mums want someone who's a friend, who's friend, kind, yes. friend, mm-hmm. kind, and interested in them and the children. That's it. How hard that's is that? It. But that's How very, hard. very intentional, 
very proactive um, and utterly rewarding. And, you know, and eventually you get to the stage we've got to, I mean, smug me sitting here 37 years down the line, having been through this horrible process of having to learn it the hard way, yeah. you know, you, so that you don't have to, um, you know, we've, it's become very automatic now that I know I've got responsibility in the relationship. That doesn't mean I'm dictatorial. It doesn't mean I make the decisions, anything like that. It just means if something goes wrong, it's my, my, my job to sort it out. Yeah. And, and it's, if something's going right, it's my job to keep it that way. That's yeah. It. And that's just so powerful because for, for us men, the amount of conversations we've had with guys who come to us and say, look, things aren't working so well. I just don't know what to do. Yeah. At least now they've got three things to do. Be a friend, be kind, and just be, be interested be in interested. them. Exactly. <laughs> we like that. Yeah. And, and even more than that, there are clear habits, which is you know yeah. what we teach. There are clear habits that you can learn and, and develop out, and become yeah. intentional mm -hmm. about, even if it means having post-it stickers all over the place to remind you of the things yeah. to do. There yeah. are specific practical things you can do that help you build a successful relationship. Well, 100%, speak, even speaking to those three points, the four habits that we talk about, playing our trumpet a little bit here, absolutely help you be a friend, be kind, and be interested in the person. So yeah. it's absolutely, that's the end result you that go. you will get, is, is bang on with what, what the mums are, are, are looking for. I, we, yeah. we could talk for hours John, on this, Harry, well, but I'm conscious John, of time. I know, uh... You're in danger of getting a compliment from me here. You look <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> when 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 the when you finish the PhD and I were rooting for you to get it done this year, we'll have to have you back to tell us all the other to. things you've found. Uh, uh, you know the statistics that support some of the messages that seem to be emerging. So that would be, be amazing. Thank you. Yeah. But if people want to find out a bit more about you and the and the fabulous work you're doing, where where can we direct them? Marriagefoundation.org.uk. Uh, we've got a website full of hopefully interesting uh, research reports that are very accessible, um, particularly if you read the press releases or the blogs. Um, yeah. yes. We've had a lot of media coverage, obviously. Um, yes. And uh, so it's designed to be um, accessible and to give you confidence that marriage really makes a difference. Yeah, and amazing. Course, and, and then if people want to find out more about the, the work you're doing with um, the mums, there's a book, isn't there, in that in that space? <laughs> yeah, it's still on Amazon. Yeah, Amazon, yeah, I mean, it's still in print. I mean, but, it, uh, it, you know, we it, it, it came out a few years ago, but I think it's still valid today. Uh, what mums want and dads need to know, and you can find it yeah. on Amazon. There are a lot Wonderful. of dads out there that need to know, so hopefully we'll get some of our listeners tuning into that and picking exactly. that book up and getting some of that yeah, wisdom. blokes read it. Yeah, yes, exactly. The ones already know it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Wonderful. Harry, amazing as always. Thank you so much for uh, just sharing your wisdom and your knowledge with us. And we look forward to the next time. Please but, do. Thank but you. meanwhile, enjoy being granddad for the first time. I am already. Wonderful. Thank you, Harry. Thanks. Cheers. See you hopefully again soon. Indeed. Bye bye. We hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you did and you want to hear more, the best thing to do is subscribe. Then you'll never miss an episode. There's a new one every Friday. You can stay connected with us on social media at The Four Habits for updates, behind the scenes content and to participate in discussions related to the show. We always love to hear from you. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review on your preferred platform to allow us to reach more listeners and help people around the globe radically transform the way they do relationships so they too can enjoy better harmony at home, thrive at work and win at life.